2: This is New Books and National Security, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Beth Windish. I'm joined by P.W. Singer, one of the authors of the book, Burnin, a novel of the real robotic revolution. His co-author is August Cole. P.W. Singer is strategist at New America and a professor of practice at Arizona State University. Described in the Wall Street Journal as the premier futurist in the national security environment. He's been named by the Smithsonian as one of the nation's 100 leading innovators, by Defense News as one of the 100 most influential people in defense issues, by foreign policy to their top 100 global thinkers list, and as an official mad scientist for the U.S. Army's Training and Doctrine Command. He was most recently a guest here on New Books in National Security to discuss his book, Like War, which explored how social media has changed war and politics and it was named an Amazon and Foreign Affairs Book of the Year. P.W., welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks so much. I mentioned you last visited the podcast for your book, Like War, and it's great to talk to you again. Can you catch us up on what you've been working on and how you came to write this new book, Burnin'?
1: Sure. So Burnin' is um, both a new book, but also a new kind of book. Uh, It is a smash-up of uh, nonfiction research with – Narrative. Uh, so let me unpack that. Uh, Burnin' is a techno thriller. Uh, so it's a story that follows an FBI agent on the hunt for a new kind of terrorist through the streets of a future Washington DC. Uh, future. So that means it's obviously not happened yet. Um, however, baked into the story are over 300 explanations And predictions, uh, everything from how does AI actually work? What are the planned applications uh, for AI, face recognition, uh, Internet of Things, and locations that range from how will the military use it to how will the police use it to uh, Starbucks to what is Amazon's plan for delivery drones? Um, But even more among those is then what are the expected uh, effects? and dilemmas that these new technologies and uses will create. Uh, And they might be political dilemmas, economic dilemmas, social dilemmas, security, national security, all the way down to individual cybersecurity dilemmas. And going back to the nonfiction aspect of it, it's not just that it has these insights baked into the story, just like you would in a nonfiction book it has um endnotes for them actually 27 pages of endnotes overall so uh just like in nonfiction, um whenever you you know a, a certain technology is mentioned a certain issue there's the little number in the text just in this case it's in a novel that then takes you down to um the research that backs it that shows hey this is not just dreamed up this is uh actually from research uh and sometimes it might be um you know a micro detail uh two characters are talking and a um, certain type of delivery drone flies overhead in note to here's Amazon's um, patent for that delivery drone. Here's their plans for deploying it into Northern Virginia, or it might be a macro issue. Uh, for example, um, algorithmic bias is a, is a really important concept, fairly complex concept though, uh, an important, you know, it plays out everywhere from uh, battlefield to um, police, uh, to family uh, issues using medical issues using AI, um, and so instead of uh, you know trying to you know unpack that through a white paper, um, we reference the work on it, but then illustrate it through a scene where you follow a character, uh, this FBI agent, and she's trying to find a, a terrorist in a crowd at a train station. So very quickly you can visualize that uh and then by the end of the scene you walk away from it with an understanding of the basics of algorithmic bias so the idea behind this combination uh is um i I joke it's a little bit i'm a parent it's like sneaking um fruit and veggies into a smoothie so the reader gets the entertainment uh it reaches a wider audience but it carries through uh, actually multiple years of research uh, to back it, and so it's a, it's a, in my mind it's a new and we found actually more effective way of sharing uh, needed information than um, the traditional white paper or PowerPoint brief or the like
2: this is the first time that I've talked about a novel on this podcast. So I'm going to put this out here up front I'm going to do my best to avoid spoilers.
1: That's, you know, it's funny. That's one of the things that's great about it is, um, you know, with nonfiction, we'd have no problem saying, you know, what's your final conclusion? Uh, Give me the executive summary Um, with uh, a novel, both of us, the creator, the reader, the share, we we don't want to do that. And, and, And part of it also Um, it strangely kind of, you know, we feel a responsibility because now we're part of this world, but it also, um, hopefully draws people in again, in a way, you know, think about all the articles that, you know, you and I have written where, you know, we give, we give the summary and then frankly, no one goes, reads the article and, and we're only boiling down, you know, the most, the sort of the two sentence version of years of research. Um, it's one of the fun things of this space as well.
2: I was going to ask you if your process was any different when you're doing the research for this type of project, it sounds like you're very passionate about the storytelling aspect and that must've been really fun for you. Is there anything that stood out to you or do you approach this similar to a project like your nonfiction work?
1: So it's, um, there's, there's definite, uh, similarities and then there are, um, clear, clear differences. Uh, so, um, the similarity is that it follows the very same um research you know uh, methodologies that we would with within a nonfiction book on you know how those of us in the field are trained and importantly to use multiple methodologies at least that, that's how I approach it so you've got you know gathering um what we might think of you know textual data um books, articles, reports, uh, bringing them together sometimes in even, you know, quantitative ways. Uh, So, for example, one of the key issues that um, uh, automation AI uh, is driving is is changes in the workforce. Um, And so we pulled together uh, every single report that we could find um, on it, Uh, you know, studies from professors at, you know, Oxford University and MIT to, um, uh, organizations like the World Bank, OECD to, um, for-profit, you know, consulting, uh, you know, McKinsey and, and Coopers And, you know, and they, they range and form from, um, academic journal articles to, um, you know, 70-page uh, consulting reports to big spreadsheets. And we took all of the, the numbers that are in there of what they project and brought them all together into one place. So it's actually 1,300 of them in all. Um, and it allows you to sort of see the distribution of these projections and how they play out in individual pr- professions alike. So you've got that going on, right? But then you're also doing um, uh, interviews and interviews of uh, everything from, uh, subject matter experts, you know, AI scientists, um, c- uh, CEOs of AI companies, not just from the US, but, but from China. Um, but you're also interviewing, you know, people in the field, so to speak. Uh, so, uh, you're getting insights from, um, you know, a character who is an FBI agent. What are they to, um, one of the great things I found in, you know, in my nonfiction, I think it carries through in the fiction is um, interviews are really important, too, because there's things that people will publish and talk about, uh, for example, in cybersecurity, you know, threat reports. And then there's what they kind of talk about over beer. It's like, oh, you'll never believe this, but dot, 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 dot. Um, so a um, funny version of that is um, uh, I interviewed a uh, water uh, systems engineer uh, for uh, cities like Washington, C., but he's also worked in several other major ones, and he, um, is we're going to plot spoil a little bit. Uh, he revealed major cybersecurity vulnerabilities, uh, in, um, the sewer and stormwater systems that basically would allow through cyber means to, um, cause a physical effect that would, um, in a situation, flood major parts of Washington DC. Uh, for listeners, you can Google 1936 Washington DC flood to see the scale of what could be pulled off. And he's, you know, telling us this. It's not been published. And as we're talking, um, his wife is, is there and, and she yells out, um, there's, there's actually four vowels. It's all you need to do to flip. Um, she yells out, you don't know him all that well. Don't tell him which four. Um, and, uh, so, you know, you have this, this research methodology going on, just like you would in any nonfiction book. But at the same time, you, you know, go back to that notion of the, the smoothie um you are trying to um also it's got to have a good taste uh it's got to be entertaining it's got to carry people through the journey so you're building characters you're building scenes um and but what i find is the commitment to the research helps with the fictional side uh because this is um the more realistic it is the more developed the characters uh the the more the scenes draw from the real world i think it makes the fiction more compelling uh and so it might be you know this broader thing of hey this actually is a cyber attack that could happen that makes it all the all the more scarier so it might be a a little detail um so you know we follow the characters through washington dc everywhere from uh okay what's a starbucks going to be like 10 years from now to, um, uh, places that a lot of people haven't been to, but you know, I can, I can share with people, um, what's the carpet like in the white house situation room. And that little detail of, uh, the carpet builds that fiction scene, I think all the more. So you're sort of serving two masters again.
2: Speaking of characters, Tell us about Lara Keegan, our our protagonist here and her world as an FBI agent and her partner.
1: So um this uh the the central character is another way that it's it's uh slightly different than the the norm. Um it it's strange, but it you know, it's it's just the way it's been. Uh you can kind of hear the, the tone of my voice on that. Um in, in techno thrillers, there. they there's a scarcity of uh, female uh, lead characters. If they are, um, they're usually the, the one be, the helper to the, to the male hero. And they tend to, um, going back to that notion of, of realism, be um, kind of one-dimensional characters. Uh, frankly, th- there's a similar problem with, with the villain characters too. And in the real world, uh, it's different. Um, and so Keegan... Uh, it's a, she obviously enough, but, um, it's, uh, she's a former Marine FBI agent. Uh, but she's also a mom of a five-year-old. Uh, she's also married, uh, and in a marriage that's not doing all that well. Um, so, uh, it's a character with layers to it. Uh, and, and like all of us juggling between, uh, all of these different, uh, identities and, and responsibilities and, uh, in the story, she's um, been assigned a new technology for a burn-in, and a burn-in uh, here again is a, is a real-world term. It's a uh, concept from engineering of when you deliberately push a new technology uh, to the near-breaking point in order to learn from it, uh, and it's what's done with any any new technology. And in this case, it's exploring um, how uh, a certain type of um, AI uh, is um, going to be utilized in the real world, and again. You know, we're going to plot spoil here. This is not, um, the story of a robot revolt. Uh, we've had a hundred years of that. I, exactly a hundred years. Going back to 1920, uh, play, um, we've had a hundred years of science fiction narrative about robot revolt. Um, it's, uh, infiltrated our real world political science, um, and policy discussions. There's, Scads of things written on killer robots and, um, you know, debate about it everywhere from the Pentagon to uh, the United Nations to um, by my tracking, uh, we've seen um, Silicon Valley and um, foundations invest over $5 billion in research on the existential threat of robots. Um, well, guess what, in the real world, uh, you know, maybe one day far off in the future, we're going to have to figure out whether to, um, you know, salute or fight our metal masters. But in the real world, and you're in your and my lifetime, the actual policy, economic, national security question we have to figure out with AI and robotics is this notion of how will it really be used? How will it be deployed um, and all of the implications of it and kind of the burn-in effect of it? Um and so we follow Keegan and the system called TAMS and TAMS is basically take uh the Alexa the Siri the um uh decision aids deployed into everything from policing to military systems and again notice I'm giving real world references I'm not um it, uh, one of our rules is no vaporware so it has to you know be drawn from there. basically take that technology um take what's at prototype stage. Uh, what are its planned application by police? What are its planned applications in your home? Uh, similarly, the hardware side, not dreaming up um, stuff, but for example, the um, many people have probably seen the YouTubes of like Boston Dynamics uh, Robotics doing parkour or whatnot. Basically take the hardware side that's already the art of the possible uh, and say, okay, what happens as you deploy this out there? And um, what through that story what we um surface uh, are these key real world questions that we have to navigate uh with um the use of ai and robotics and Internet of things um you know in, in, in kind of a similar way of uh you know moby dick is not a story about the hunt for a whale right you know there's underlying things the same thing here there's a key which you might um, on the fiction side call themes But on the nonfiction side, say, these are the issues. These are the questions that we are going to have to um, uh, find our answers to. Uh, And so, no, it's not robot revolt. It's uh, what are the ripple effects of living through a new kind of industrial revolution? Uh, What are the questions that uh, have to be worked out related to human machine teaming and what are the different forms what are the the proper and improper applications uh what what questions again moral legal political economic uh, is brought out from it another core theme is um the tensions between uh security privacy and um profit and convenience uh which again is a a dilemma that you see playing out in everything from a uh, deployment of face recognition technology to the apps that your kids might use.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: A theme throughout the book is that TAMS, Agent Keegan's robotic partner, is always listening and learning, Mm -hmm. which is a reminder that artificial intelligence is a product of what we teach it. Is that a message you think is sometimes lost in the discussion of AI?
1: Oh, yes. And in, in a couple of ways, um, the first is uh, on, on, the, on the nonfiction side, uh, there's a you know immense amount of literature on um, sort of a debate back and forth as to whether we will see more or less jobs. Um, and, uh, you know, particularly from, I'm mean, pull back on it, there's this wonderful irony that as everything is being um, networked, we approach the problem set through um, field stovepipes. So the people that are interested in the future of work are different than the people who are interested in um, the future of war, are different than the people who are interested in um, legal, ethical, philosophic questions, uh, are different than the people who are interested in Internet of Things cybersecurity. And yet, they of course all connect and cross. So you know, one example of this, um, to answer your question, is Uh, you see a vast amount of debate about um, automation uh, and its impact on jobs. And, you know, as I mentioned, we built this data set where, you know, at one end of the spectrum, you've got um, researchers at Oxford saying, you know, 47% of jobs will see automation. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, OECD saying, no, 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 only 9%. 9% is still a pretty significant amount. But, you know, then you say, well, but we'll see all sorts of new professions. Like we saw out of the last industrial revolution. Um, What, that misses. Um, one is when you look at it from other angles, is even if you're right and you see new professions surface, um, it's still an incredibly difficult transition period. Uh, and you know, if you know the history of the last industrial revolution, you, know, you had both uh, economic and as a result, political winners and losers at everything from the, the individual level, the industry level, uh, all the way up to the national level. It's part of the story of the rise of. Uh, the united states is a great power um you saw its ripple effects onto um politics in terms of uh, new concepts and even ideologies uh, no industrial revolution no um workers rights women's rights children's rights oh by the way industrial revolution also spawned fascism communism so you know the first is that idea of um missing the the um The complexity of it when you look at it from multiple different angles. The second, though, is that um, uh, in the field, um, scientists describe how AI is a um, quote black box. Uh, And what they're going after is that the very value of it is that as a learning machine um, and from observing us, um, it Increasingly, comes to conclusions uh, whether it's offering recommendations or taking actions that we don't understand why or how. Uh, A version of this would be, you know, when when new translation software comes out, uh, you know, they're like, here, this this version is better. We don't know why or how it got to be that way. It's just better. And in the book, we sort of explain somewhat the process for how this plays out with neural nets. Um, but the point is, is that uh, in that always learning, we don't know um, kind of how or why it, it always plays out the way that that it does. Now, um, that's a parallel a little bit to being a parent. Um, there's things that you deliberately try and teach, and then there's what observed, and then it all kind of gets churned in there. And it's much the same increasingly with our AI. But oh, by the way, that's the very benefit for it that's the very value if if we could do it if we could understand ourselves we wouldn't need the ai so there's this sort of um uh irony packed into that but there's a second um meaning to uh the black box that that we try and you know use the format of the novel to go after is that it's the importance of ai and yet the disconnect of um understanding even the basics and and these issues that we're talking about of its ripple effects um so i'll give you a uh a, a, a numeric illustration, um, and then I'll give you an anecdotal. So, you know, kind of just like in, in grad school, I'd have different professors who would, you know, it, give a good grade for one or the other. Um, the the numeric one is um, a survey of um, leaders found that ninety one percent of them said that AI is the most important uh, game changing technology out there. And um, that 91% is backed by, you know, if you do a scan of um, Fortune 500 uh, strategy documents, um, again, the overwhelming majority talk about AI as the key to their future plans. To if you do a scan of um, national government documents, um, everything from the uh, US national defense strategy to China's 2030 plan. So you've got that kind of uh, numeric scale. Um, However, in a survey, only 17% of leaders self-reported that they even had a passing familiarity with AI, um let alone the questions of its applications, the dilemmas, uh etc. And as you know, we all know like when people self-report, that 17% is probably a high count, right? But even if they're all being honest, 17% versus 91%, that is a massive delta between now, the, the anecdotal version of how we're kind of getting this, this black box issue wrong is, um, the secretary of the treasury, uh, a short while back, um, said how, uh, AI and automation was, um, not on the Trump administration's, uh, quote, radar screen, end quote, because it was not going to be an issue for, quote, 50 to 100 years, end quote. That's verifiably false. Um, it's not just that you know all these technologies will play out not over a period of fifty to one or a year; to play out, you know, as we as we can document um, uh, over the next one to ten years. But it's already been an issue. Uh, for example, if you look at um, uh, manufacturing job loss in the U.S. over the prior two decades, roughly about eighty-five percent of it was to, to automation. Um, and so the point is, is that you know if you think of robotics and AI is some sci-fi far off in the distance issue, you are setting um, whether it's your uh, study of the future of war to your education programming um, for the future of work wrong.
2: Tams has access to a ton of data and he's able to pour through that instantly. And often the debate on data and data collection centers around privacy, but you see in the book that in many instances and in real life as well, the horse is out of the barn because we readily give so much information freely, especially in the U S to corporations. Do you think the policy discussion on data and privacy needs to evolve to recognize these realities?
1: Oh, absolutely. And, um, I think the most important thing is to understand uh, not just the sheer scale of the data collected, but also what the addition of artificial intelligence into it allows. Um, and, you know, much like the broader issues within the book, um, all of this was was at play before the coronavirus pandemic. You know, as I mentioned, there's a multi-year research